Sydney Environment Institute, in association with Sydney Ideas, presents Cultivating Our Campus, Part 1 in the 2017 Food at Sydney Seminar Series, with speakers Sinead Boylan, Tracy Ho and Sophie Lamont, and Series Chair Alana Mann. Well, good evening. Thank you so much for joining us for Sydney Ideas, the Food at Sydney Series first seminar of the semester and the year. So welcome to everybody, um, especially a lot of our, I see a lot of familiar faces, but we also have special welcome to New York University students who have joined us while they're on exchange. So thank you for coming. <laughs> We're all a bit tired. It's week seven. I don't know where you guys are in the semester, but everyone, everyone here is quite exhausted. But first of all, I'd like to... Um, start, before we begin the proceedings, I would like to acknowledge and pay respect to the traditional owners of the land on which we meet, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. It is upon their ancestral lands that the University of Sydney is built. And as we share our knowledge, teaching, learning and research practices within our campus, we also pay respect to the knowledge embedded forever in the Aboriginal custodianship of country. My name's Alana Mann. I'm the Chair of Department of Media and Communications here at the University of Sydney. And I'm very fortunate because I work with um, a fabulous bunch of researchers at the Sydney Environment Institute. And um, I'd like to thank Michelle St. Anne and the team for organising this event, along with the convener of Sydney Ideas, Meredith Hall. They're all very modest, but they're sitting down there. So thank you very much, ladies. <laughs> So just to tell you a little bit about this particular series of uh, speeches that we're going to hear tonight, we've got three fantastic ladies, I'm delighted to see, three ladies talking about cultivating our campus. So obviously sustainability starts at university, we think, because young people, we would like them to grow up and um, live sustainable lives. But just exactly what does that mean? We use that word sustainability a lot. But universities, beyond doubt, have been advocates for healthy and sustainable societies for a long time in many countries. Across Australia, however, campus food systems are anything but healthy. Unfortunately, a lot of the options on this campus, for example, are unhealthy. They're often unsourced through unsustainable food chains. So how can we make universities walk the talk? to building more healthy and sustainable food systems both on campus and outside in community? And what role can students play especially in mobilising um, to demand fairer food environments in our country? And how can universities become a living lab, if you like, to show how better food can help us all live better lives? So our speakers today, I will introduce them together, but then I'm going to, after each speaker, I'll get up and tell you more about them so that you know who, who is talking on what topic. I'm delighted to welcome Dr. Sinead Boylan, Research Fellow at University of Sydney, who will be our first speaker. She'll be followed by Tracy Ho, our Community Garden Campus Infrastructure Services Expert, and finally, Sophie Lamond, co-founder of the Fair Food Challenge, has joined us to talk about what students are doing on campus, in Melbourne especially. 
And um, just to tell you a little bit about the format of the evening, each of our speakers will take 10 to 12, maybe 13 minutes, to um, talk about their specific approach to this issue. And uh, at the end, I'll bring everyone back together and we'll have a Q&A. And I always think that the question and answer at these seminars is one of the most exciting um, parts of the evening because we've got a lot of experts in the audience as well. So we really encourage you to have great questions for when our speakers um, are ready to receive them. So just to tell you a little bit about Sinead, who I mentioned before. A research fellow here at the University of Sydney, she has a Bachelor of Science in Human Nutrition from the University of Ulster and a PhD in Nutritional Epidemiology from the University of Leeds. Dr. Boylan previously worked at University College London, where she investigated the dietary habits of a large cohort in Central and Eastern Europe. From there, she moved to the Bowdoin Institute of Obesity, Nutrition, Exercise and Eating Disorders at the University of Sydney. While at the Bowdoin, Sinead worked as a research fellow monitoring and analysing the Brunei National Health Survey, completing government reviews and reports, lecturing students in the Masters of Sustainability and collaborating internationally with others involved in non-communicable disease prevention. Sinead is currently employed as a research fellow for the Physical Activity Nutrition Obesity Research Group and her interests lie at the interface between the food system and the environment. So thank you, Sinead, and we look forward to hearing from you. Thank you, Alana. I should have given you a shorter, less embarrassing bio. Um, but thanks, and thanks for inviting me along here today, and, and thanks for coming um, on such a cold afternoon and not running home and making a cup of tea. So thanks for coming along. Um, and this is my passion, is healthy and sustainable diets. I'm, I wouldn't call myself an expert. Uh, I don't know who would be an expert in this. It's such a broad, all-encompassing sort of uh, concept. Um, I mean, what is a healthy diet as a place to, to start? So I think we should turn to the, the experts. Does this work? Oh, where did he come from? No, okay. No, I'm not Kellogg's either. Um, I'm just getting used to this. So we all know what, what to eat and what not to eat. Um, and some of you may be aware of the Australian dietary guidelines. Um, so there's no surprises there that we should be eating um, vegetables, fruit, milk, dairy, lean meats, poultry, um, fish, nuts and grains, preferably whole grain. And we should be avoiding or not consuming um, these processed, energy-dense foods um, at the bottom. So that's what a healthy diet is, but what's a sustainable diet? This definition by the Food and Agricultural Organization is probably the most comprehensive definition of a sustainable diet. I'm not going to read it because I'll run out of breath. <laughs> and you can also read, I'm pretty sure. But it's all encompassing. And, and that, that's what it is. It's quite um, a complex but comprehensive definition. And the reason it's so complex 
well, actually, before I get to that. Um, what, so we've looked at what's a healthy diet and what's a sustainable diet, but what does that diet look like on a plate? And does it look like this? Hands up who here thinks we should be eating fish? Little fish? <laughs> okay, so it's a bit, bit, bit of a mix here. I would say it was probably 50-50 there. Tips of fingers. Yep. What about red meat? Okay, less, few. Okay, that's interesting. I should have got ethical approval for this study. Yeah. And what about greens and green beans and that sort of thing? All right, yeah. Everybody should be eating green. Great, okay. But, I mean, there is a lot of controversy over this, I guess. I mean, with fish, for example, being one example, where if we're being recommended to eat two serves of fish every week, at least, that would mean we'd have to up our consumption by 40% in Australia. And 40 is sort of the magic number because of our fish stocks in Australia, about 40% is overfished. And the marine biologists think that in the next couple of decades that um, by 2040, in fact, that we could globally, our fish stocks could be depleted. Um, red meat is the other kind of uh, controversial um, or hot spot, we would say, in this, this conversation. Um, but what I'm trying to say is it's not, it's not black and white. For example, if you look at red meat and look at lamb, there was a study done years ago in the UK which showed that lamb that was produced um, in and around London um, was less environmentally friendly than lamb that would have been imported from New Zealand and purchased in London. And so it just, you can't just think about food miles or one indicator of environmental sustainability. There's a whole um, array of different indicators that we should be considering. It's not black and white. And of course we know the nutritional benefits that fish and red meat do provide. Um, and green beans, for example, as well, um, there is a lot of water that is um, used in the production of greens, especially in African countries where there isn't much water in the first place. So it's just, it's not black and white. Um, and it's not black and white because the food system is not black and white. And, you know, food is not just a noun, it's a verb. It's constantly changing, it's a dynamic process. There's lots of different interactions and knock-on effects. This is quite an old figure from the 90s. Um, some of you may be aware of it. Um, but I always refer to it. I think it's pretty good. It is missing some of that more macro-environmental influences from policy and, um, um, and trade and that sort of thing. But actually, trade's there. But it does show the complexity of, of the system. And so I don't want to depress you all. We all know that our food system is pretty much in dire straits. Um, we've got a lot, lot of challenges to face with the food system, so climate change, direct impacts on the food system and in our responses, and also indirect impacts on the food system. Um, we've got loss of, uh, uh, well, there's land grabbing, um, our soils being depleted, we're reaching peak energy, peak phosphorus, um, agricultural inputs as well as a problem, including young farmers. Um, we've got loss of aqu aquatic and um, land biodiversity. 
Waste is a huge problem throughout the food system in Australia. It's mostly at the household level. In, in developing countries, it's more at the, um, the post-harvesting stage. And this is all compounded by inequalities in health. So it's pretty depressing. But um, there are good things happening, which I will come to. Another way of looking at these problems is looking at, at the food system as a system. And these are just some of the issues that each of these stages face. Um, but they're not um, solely associated with each stage. So, for example, climate change may have an impact on food production, but it may also have an impact on distribution of food through loss of infrastructure, damage to railroads, flooding, and that sort of thing. That will have an impact on what we can access, um, and that will have an impact on our health. So there's a knock-on effect there, and it, it isn't... Um, it, isn't, um, it doesn't happen just at one stage of the food system. It happens throughout it. So how do you tackle these sort of issues um, when you've got this huge system? And I think, personally, I think it's about tackling, just chipping away at it and try not to get overwhelmed by the complexity of it. It can be broken down, and that's the thing about complex problems. You can break them down almost like pieces of a puzzle, I guess. So, I think if you work one part of the food system, I think it will have a knock-on effect at another. It may be, a, it may be a, a, a poor side effect, but it may have beneficial effect in another part of the food system. But we don't know until we start exploring these different options. And I think it's really important that we not just view it with an environmental lens, any of the actions that we take, but also a social, um, and an economical lens, the three pillars of sustainable development. I'm going to turn to France very quickly just to end on a good note, and I think France are doing some really great things um, at a national level before we talk more about more um, local levels and campus levels. Um, so in France, they're introducing a new law um, so that 40% of their institutions, state institutions, will be um, sourcing their food locally, and that is fresh food within the 30-kilometer radius, and uh, packaged food or meats within a 100-kilometer radius. And all the foods must be in season, organically grown, and certified ecologically sustainable. They've also um, now introduced a law that would mean that restaurateurs have to provide customers with doggy bags. So I'm not sure what the implications are. Probably Alexandra probably knows better, but um, the implications of that safe food safety-wise and why that's not happening here. We have got a similar um, initiative here in Australia now where we're selling ugly flute, which is great. And it seems to be doing, I don't know what evaluation of that is, but it seems to be doing quite well. In the US, um, this is Kaiser Permanente, which is a big healthcare provider in the US, and they've got farmers markets outside um, their healthcare facilities, and that's shown great benefits in fruit and vegetable consumption. And also for the, for the patients themselves, they're getting fresh food within hospitals. Whoops. Um, in Australia, we're doing great things as well, and this is just as one example within our schools. Um, with the Stephanie Alexander School Kitchen Gardens, again, showing great benefits for our kids, and those kids are bringing that back into their homes. So what could the University of Sydney do? 
Um, I'm an idealist, so something like, like this would be great. And I think the University of Sydney, who prides themselves on providing an environment which staff and students can thrive in, um, is a perfect place to provide healthy and sustainable food. And so we were lucky enough, myself and Alexandra Jones is here and Becky Freeman, um, to receive some Healthy Sydney University seed funding. And we've got Margaret Allman Farinelli here from Healthy Sydney University. Um, and we plan to do a review with the help of Amanda Legret, who's sitting here in the second row, um, review of existing healthy and sustainable food policies. And I know that um, Sophie's also going to touch on that as well, which would be great. And we want to, what we want to do is identify where the momentum is, where the challenges, the barriers, and where the gaps are. And eventually, obviously, we need to collaborate with partners within the university, including campus infrastructures and the union, um, on making it a leader in healthy and sustainable food systems. As you know, the food system is very complex. We need to start somewhere. So we propose to start looking at the sourcing of locally produced food in Sydney because we've got a great food bowl here and we want to explore the opportunity of um, obtaining our food from those sources, at least in part. So that is the plan. So hopefully we will have an update for you when we progress with this further, and I think it's really exciting. Um, I think the University of Sydney, as I said, um, ha has, can demonstrate how to lead in this way. So thank you for listening. Thank you. Thanks, Sinead. I wonder if we do we need to translate doggy bag for our guests? You know what that is? What do you call it, doggy bag as well? Yes. Excellent, fantastic. I was just thinking that could be very confusing. <laughs> so our next speaker is Tracy Ho. Tracy's been working at, as the sustainability officer at Campus Infrastructure Services here at the University of Sydney for almost four years. Her work fo focuses on energy and resource efficiency and sustainable built environments. Tracy has worked on sustainability projects such as the Community Garden in collaboration with Brian Jones, senior lecturer here in the Faculty of Ag Agriculture, and the Campus Solar Project the Better Recycling Campaign, and our sustainability framework. This is a bespoke tool to assess and rate environmentally sustainable design for our new buildings, and this is probably one of the best examples. Tracy likes being outdoors and connected to the natural environment. She's a keen runner, and do you incorporate that with ag somehow. It's very sustainable anyway because you're not using any energy except your own. <laughs> so please join me in welcoming Tracy. Hello. <laughs> so I'm um, going to be approaching it more from a case study perspective rather than in research where it's more about how we um, implemented the community garden or established the community garden on campus. So I didn't test this out beforehand, so hopefully it's just a simple click, and it is. So um, I'll start off by like saying there's the environmental sustainability policy, which was endorsed in 2015. Um, it sets out 12 objectives, and I've kind of 
um, highlighted the things in red, which um, the sustainability team in campus infrastructure and services sort of influence. So that is around our buildings, conserving um, and using energy and water efficiently, reducing our climate, um, our carbon footprint, sort of conserving natural resources and minimizing waste, um, enhancing biodiversity, uh, etc. Um, so some of the key initiatives, which I think I should not put it in the bio because I'll just be repeating myself, but is, um, for example, we just recently, ah, I've got a mistake there. It's a 750 kilowatt solar PV system, so that's across 18 buildings, so that saves about 795 tons of CO2 equivalent per year, and that was completed just end of last year. Um, we have an advanced utilities moni monitoring system, uh, which helps us monitor the energy that we use in our buildings and um, identify opportunities for saving um, energy. Um, I mentioned the sustainability framework because this is um, a bespoke tool that we use for whenever we're designing new buildings and how this might um, incorporate um, more healthier systems on, uh, on campuses. We also have for our student accommodation, for example, a credit where uh, we would give, um, where we encourage developers to have a, a plot where they can grow their own foods. Um, and we also talk um, about um, sort of uh, edible sort of uh, landscape strategies in that. Uh, and then these are the other sort of um, projects that we get involved in about around resource recovery and engagement. But we're here about the community garden, so I'll just uh, talk about that. Um, it was a pilot scheme which was established in 2014, so it's been running about three years. Um, it was uh, initiated by staff and students, um, mainly through um, a lecturer, in, uh, Brian Jones, in, in the School of Life and Environmental Sciences, uh, the Sustainable Workplace Group, and the Students' Representative Council. So it was um, quite a, a lucky, well, a fortunate time where when we first got together and um, looked at the opportunities for looking for space, um, I can just talk about this, was originally the site was, it's already established, but it was a very underutilized site, as you can see. It was just like one uh, or two sort of um, research projects was going in there. So it was quite simple to, speak to the right people, like, for example, the dean of the school and, um, and my director in uh, Campus Infrastructure Services to repurpose it. Um, and so because it was an established site there already, we, it didn't take much to actually then repurpose it into a community garden. And so, it's, yeah, I think it looks um, amazing, the transformation from what it was to what it, what it is now. Although um, this is one of the early photos. Um, I guess I could say it was um, truly sustainable because um, most of the setup costs, uh, we, had, we got things donated. So we had a few of these planter boxes, which was donated from the grounds team. Um, the manure was from our Camden site. Um, and we had, were able to reuse these, salvage some drip systems from the old 
um, glass houses. So it, the actual setup cost was minimal, basically. And obviously, the labor was all volunteers. Um, so some of the benefits that we're getting out of the community garden are the social outcomes, which is basically collaboration across uh, the staff and students' communities, uh, cultural ones, which is promoting health and well-being on campus and having healthier food options on campus, um, the environmental outcomes, well, you know, setting example of sustainable food production in urban environments, and how we can minimize our environmental impacts through local food production. And it, economically, it makes sense, too, because it, uh, it just demonstrates how much um, yeah, cheaper it is to actually grow your own produce and how much more nutritious it is than buying organic um, shop-bought, basically. Um, some of the other opportunities that we have at the Community Guardian is to sell it to the local retailers, but we haven't quite gotten there yet. So... Um, and then just on the future of the community garden, so I said it was a temporary site. Um, that particular site is earmarked for redevelopment in the next two years or so. Um, so we will have to look for a new site, and that's quite difficult at the university where there's competing for sports, recreation spaces, whether you... And also, because it's a quite prestigious university, they like their landscape to be quite pristine and inviting so um, it, I think it will be a challenge when we come to look for a new site however there might be other ways that we can embed it um, on campus and that is through integrating it into the landscape strategy for more edible or foraging gardens um, so that could be another way um, as I mentioned about the sustainability framework um, other things is what I thought was how we can reach a wider audience. I find that within the group, the working groups that you have, it's always maybe 12 people that go regularly, even though the Facebook group have got 312 members. So we're not really reaching out to a really wide audience. And um, whether that's a communications issue or... I don't know, um, yeah, there's a few things that we can investigate about how to um, improve that reach. But the other thing we could do is maybe work in partnership with the food co-op, so some of the excess produce that we, um, that we harvest could be sold to the food co-op, um, which we had trialled um, a couple of times, but that requires a lot of management in itself. Um, and I think for it to be really um, successful is, is to have a, a better management, because at the moment, I have to admit, it is a bit ad hoc. Any volunteers that are interested just come along and you know, um, help out, but it, it does need a bit more of a structure um, and for, for it just to be self-sustained, really. Um, so that's my case study. <laughs> Thanks, Tracy. I must confess that uh, Professor Brian Jones and I have had some discussions about some guerrilla gardening in the quad, in the quadrangle, but we <laughs> now that I've said it, they'll know who it is, so I won't be able to do it, but no. That was great. Thank you. And it is really good to hear that this, there, there is an initiative here, but 
if anyone wants to see the garden, it's actually behind the Jane Fossil Rust building. I'm, I'm really sorry it's not going to be there anymore, but... Well... Yeah, we might need to crowdsource a solution and think of some different options. But thank you. Now our third and final speaker for tonight is Sophie Lamond. Sophie's a PhD student at the University of Melbourne where she investigates the impact of emerging technologies on the food system. As a young academic activist, Sophie runs the Fair Food Challenge. The challenge facilitates student-led co-design of fair food policies for Australian universities and campaigns for healthy, sustainable and equitable food environments. Sophie has run community kitchens, mentored food projects and hosts the occasional apocalyptic dinner party, which may include insects. <laughs> she has a keen interest in civil society advocacy. She founded the Melbourne chapter of the Youth Food Movement and she has been a committee member with me, actually, on the Australian Food Sovereignty Alliance. She's a member of the Right to Food Coalition as well. She speaks, writes and facilitates events to open up conversations about good food and to explore possible food futures. So we welcome her to do that tonight. Thanks, Sophie. Just to apologise very briefly, I appear to have lost my font, but that's fine, we'll survive. <laughs> um, so this is the question that uh, occupies me, I guess. What could a fair food university look like? Um, it could be interdisciplinary teams working together to research food system challenges while students undertake subjects, getting their hands dirty, studying nutrition, crop science, food politics, agroecology and horticulture. Uh, local producers dropping off seasonal produce at a food hub to be distributed to on-campus businesses and colleges. Community kitchens filled with students sharing recipes, teaching each other good food skills and cooking with campus-grown ingredients. A campus in which green spaces grow edibles and organic waste becomes part of a circular economy. So we've seen like the beginnings of these visions in the talks we've had already. Uh, we've also talked about some challenges that this isn't necessarily that easy. Um, so that's sort of, I guess, the questions that we started asking. This all started because I got interested in finding out a bit more about food waste and then I uh, realised that there was sort of stuff being done and sort of stuff wasn't being done and working in institutional bureaucracies like universities, sort of people weren't talking to each other. Um, so the Fair Food Challenge was born out of connecting those, these sorts of projects together and taking an interest in not only connecting systems together on campus but also between universities, which is what we're doing here. Um, as before, I won't go through reading out everything, but um, I encourage you to jump on our website and read our report to get a bit of a bigger picture. Um, but, you know, the short is the Fair Food Challenge is empowering university communities to build a fair, healthy and accessible food system. And, you know, quite seriously, universities uh, have potential to demonstrate leadership in this area. We're seeing a bit of a paucity of political leadership at a federal level, so I think it's this time to stop asking for, um, don't ask for forgiveness, uh, don't ask for permission, ask for forgiveness after you've done it. Um, and it's also just to give it a bit of context internationally, so Real Food Challenge is an organisation that's been running, you guys might know about it, a bit more about it from NYU, but um, has been very successful. So that campaign's been running for a number of years and has shifted $80 million of institutional money towards procurement for local economies. So when this stuff is coordinated, it demonstrably has a huge impact. Uh, and that was a quote that um, David Schwartz, the director of that, contributed to our report. So we're networking in with that kind of thing and meal exchange in Canada. So there's a number of these sort of networks around the world. So definitely tapping into an international current. 
Um, so as I said, we sort of started talking about food waste, but then started saying, okay, well, that's one part of this bigger problem, you know, like is food affordable on campus, you know, uh, is it sustainable, are, can you actually get seasonal produce, can you actually find out if there's halal food, you know, there are 47 million questions about food on campus, and we sort of started taking a systems approach. Um, so I guess just a bit of a sense of what it actually is that we're interested in doing. Uh, getting together and writing policy and actually thinking about what that kind of policy could look like. Uh, getting the community involved in making sure... I mean, my experience thus far... So I started out uh, doing this as a master's student and have continued annoying people as a PhD student. Is that if you're an eager student and you want to go talk to the university, they definitely want to hear from you. They are interested in the student perspective in designing their policy. That's not always necessarily easy to do, but creating a conduit so that conversation can actually happen. Um, and actually creating a coordinated standard. So it's really exciting to hear about Healthy Sydney University. So we want to know what you guys already know so we can advocate for that at Melbourne Uni, which is more difficult because we don't teach nutrition. So getting that kind of um, research here is something that we can learn about. You know, we might be studying something or researching something that you don't do as well. So if we can actually create that cross-institutional knowledge, it's very powerful. Um, and I mean, ultimately, get people to change their behaviour and make it easier. I mean, there are plenty of things that I know about. And, you know, the other day I had a conversation with the waste and recycling coordinator at Melbourne Uni. By the end of it, I was like, I think I don't... I know even less now about which bin I'm meant to put things in. You know, so it has to be easy for people to do. We can't talk about these things and then make them very, very difficult for people to engage with. Um, and, you know, just as well, just that presence on campus, sort of as you were speaking about. Events, workshops, peer-to-peer -peer learning, have fun, tell good stories... Uh, and I think just getting to thing, you know, changing the little things. If there's something in your own office, if you can get a bakashi bin in your own office, if you can make sure that people aren't having plastic utensils, change those tiny things first. They're not going to build up to everything. But if you can start demonstrating those small runs on the board, that can then sort of contribute to this overarching institutional support and policy change. Um, and connecting people together, really getting these conversations together, being like, it's so exciting, these things happening in the community garden, how can we get that into the co-op? How can we actually have a coordinated seasonal food dinner where we get the co-op and the community garden together? How can we get the vice-chancellor to come to the dinner? <laughs> um, and really getting that buy-in from multiple stakeholders and, as I said, connect together communities of practice across universities. Um, so I guess this is just like a little bit of a snapshot of like the first couple of weeks of the year. I was just thinking about a few of these things and spending some time on campus. Noticed that there was this free breakfast bar. Sort of note to self, go check it out. Realised I'd run out of cereal one day. So I was like, oh, I will go to the free breakfast bar. Um, you know, the union puts it on. So they do it every single day. And then on Thursdays, they sort of do a big cook-up kind of one. But, you know, they gave me a plastic spoon for somewhere where I could just sit. I just thought, you know, that could be changed. They didn't have any fruit there. They had some good stuff and bad stuff, went downstairs. That was literally the only banana I could find on campus. That is a sad, sad banana. <laughs> uh, however, I walked out of that shop and found them unpacking all of the energy drinks and chocolate and chips. And that's the reality. It is a couple of hundred times easier to get a chocolate bar or, you know, at Melbourne Uni to get into the library. You have to walk past these two vending machines that only have 600ml Coca-Cola. And then around the corner, behind a fence, there's a water fountain. <laughs> So that's what I'm saying about making things demonstrably easier. Like, one thing or the other, it's, you know, that's the campus we're on. Um, we have a campus food bank, but as you know, there's often big sponsors support things happening on campus. Um, they couldn't give away all of the Lipton iced tea, so it got donated to the food bank. I mean, great, thanks, but maybe, like, something else other than sugar-sweetened beverages to give to people who are actually in need of food assistance and welfare. 
Uh, that's our shop. That's my vending machine. That's 400 sausages for a, you know, sort of $1 sausages for a community barbecue. So all of these things happen. None of them are the worst thing in the world, but all together, they're all these little tiny parts of systems that we can sh- tweak and change. Um, and I think the huge part of that is sort of getting this community together and finding people. So in a context, we ran an event last year. Um, hopefully, yeah, so th- what we did is... Um, we had been sitting on this information, didn't really really know what to do with it. We had a bit of research and a couple of us were really interested and we were just sort of floundering about thinking we've just got all of this information and decided that we were never really going to get the time to do something with it. So we invited, we put open a public event and 15 students from three universities spent two days um, in a right shop and we basically got together and said we are putting literally all of the information we have on the table, we literally put it on a table, print it out and put it on a table saying we want to create a report d- demonstrating a case for Australia's fair food policy. So within two days, those 15 students had written 15,000 words and within 10 days we published it into a 42-page report which outlined this strategy, um, which we then launched at an event that had stakeholders from nine universities. So it was a really exciting thing, but it really did just take that crystallisation of being like, okay, well, we're never going to have the time, let's just run at this full pelt and really demonstrate it. That's been a really powerful story for us to tell is we did this with a bunch of students. Um, we got this here, we, you know, it looks good and it, that has been the most powerful thing. If I've been walking, walking into meetings with people from the University Chancery, to be able to put that on someone's desk and demonstrate that that was a piece of policy designed by students has absolutely been the most powerful strategy that we have. Um, and then one of the other things that we came up with in that sort of two days of thinking was, you know, we had all these ideas that were floating around and crystallising those into the seven pillars, which is now what we have been talking about. So this is a systems-focused thing. Um, food, these healthy food systems comprise sustainability, access and equity, health, education, innovation, opportunity, procurement and retail and resourcing and accountability. And then that's further broken down. I mean, um, once again, encourage you to jump on the website and have a look at it into these 40 sections. And these are being refined as well. So as I said, this was sort of pulled together in this sort of really quick co-design process. So seeking feedback of if if you can answer yes to these 40 things, you have a fair food university. Um, So getting into that idea and seeing if it's possible. Um, also really keen to work with the other universities. So if you guys are doing Healthy Sydney University, this is a framework that would sit alongside that rather than sort of say, well, we're doing this thing and you're doing that thing. Um, and just sort of thinking strategically about, you know, where is food in universities? I mean, as opposed to some of the American universities, for example, we don't have a dining hall. We don't have one procurement manager that we can go and target. We have this very dispersed, very sort of... Um, decentralised food systems are having to think quite creatively about who you can actually talk to to get that sort of change happening. And we sort of came up with this six C's of these kinds of things to sort of work out where those points are that we could leverage um, change. Uh, very quickly, um, I'm going to just wrap up by telling you about a project that we've been working on. We got some grant funding um, for this, uh, looking at how we can actually get out into the community and have these conversations. So this is going to be called... Uh, this is a sort of a bit of an ideas brief for the Fair Food Unicycle, which will be a portable kitchen on the back of a bike that we take around campus and can be hired out by clubs and societies to either put on a sustainable barbecue, we'll give them all reusable plates and cups so that they don't have to use plastic, we'll give them healthy, sustainable recipes so they can have healthy, sustainable recipes. We're linking up with the farmers' markets to create a supply chain for food. Um, and then with that as well, we're also going to create a policy salon. So sometimes it's going to be doing workshops and sometimes it's going to be tea and cake and we're going to ask the community what they want for food policy at their university. Uh, and this is the sort of initial design. We're expecting the final design back from the designer this evening, so I'm very excited. <laughs> um, but it'd be great to talk a bit more about that. Um, and I guess, 
you know, everyone has a bit of this that they know. Everyone is part of the system. Everyone has an idea. So I guess thinking about what your own idea is for a fair food university, getting together with the people that can help you and linking those networks up, um, thinking strategically about what it is that your uni needs and what it is that you're likely to be able to change and also thinking, nesting that into the broader systems change about what will do the most good for the food system. Um, but thanks. Thank you to all our speakers. What a, a fabulous feast of information for us to now deconstruct, or dine on, I should say, just to continue a really overdone metaphor. Um, girls, would you like to come and join us and we'll open up for some questions. Thank you so much.